1: with dr frank turek ladies and gentlemen what is the number one competitor to christianity when it comes to worldview no no it's not atheism you might think so here in america uh, but it's not globally and pretty soon here in america if it hasn't happened already it is islam now how many out there know much about islam what is islam where did it come from uh, is the Quran really true? Could the Quran be the word of God? I mean, there's a lot of people out there that say it is. Is it really? Could it be? Well, we couldn't have a better person to talk about this on the program than my friend, Dr. David Wood, who has his Ph.D. in philosophy from Fordham University. But uh, those of you who are familiar with apologetics probably have heard of David. If you haven't, you need to go to his uh, YouTube channel. That's probably the best place to go. He's got over 300,000 subscribers there. It's Act 17 Apologetics. And you will get a very good education on what Islam is and uh, what its implications are for America and for Christianity by going to his YouTube channel. He's debated several Muslims over the years. Uh, he uh, has uh, was, was the man that brought Nabil Qureshi at least partially responsible, bringing Nabil Qureshi from islam to Christianity maybe he 'll talk a little bit about that and by the way he 's also joining us this year for CIA the cross examine instructor academy in New York, August eight to ten. Uh, if you want to be a part of CIA, you've got to sign up for it. You've got to apply for it. Go to crossexamine.org and uh, click on events. You'll see it there. So it's a great pleasure to have David on with me. Haven't haven't had, him, haven't had David on for a few years now, so it's great to have him back on. David, how are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good,
1: Frank. Hey, g- give people a little bit of background. How did you become an expert on Islam? Um,
0: well, uh, my best friend in, uh, in college was Nabil. And... Uh, uh, Nabil actually started coming after me, kind of uh, telling me that Islam is true and I had studied a little bit um, before I met Nabil because I had had another friend um, who was a Muslim before nabil um, but uh it was it was well being friends with Nabil that I actually started going um, through islam 's uh, sources, the Quran and the hadith and the Sirah and so on, uh, mainly because he was he was offering arguments from uh, from Islam's most trusted sources, he was arguing that uh, Muhammad uh, knew all these um, scientific issues uh, centuries before they were verified, and so on. So he's um, he's uh, saying that all these things are in the Muslim sources. But I always wanted to read everything for myself, so I started buying um, Islam's sources. I uh, uh, bought Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim back then, and uh, Ibn Ishaq, and started going through the sources. And um, so N- Nabil and I took, took about four years or so. Um, for about the first two and a half years, we were focusing mainly on Christian topics, uh, the reliability of the New Testament, the deity of Christ, Jesus' death and resurrection, and so on. And then uh, eventually, eventually I, I pointed out, hey, we, we, should, we should be examining your beliefs the same way we're examining mine, namely, mm. laying out our arguments and laying out all the evidence, pro and con, to see where the evidence points that we should be doing that with the Quran and Muhammad as well. And uh, so about about four years into those discussions, um, Nabil left Islam and, and became a Christian. And I actually thought to myself, hey, cool, I'm done with Islam, because <laughs> the only real reason I was studying Islam, the only real reason I was studying Islam was that my best friend was a Muslim, and mm-hmm. he wasn't a Muslim anymore. So I, I was interested in other things. I was, I'm, I'm a former atheist, so I'm, I've always been more interested in, Dealing with uh, atheist objections and the existence of God and things like that, but uh, it was it was it was pretty cool because watching the stand that Nabeel took after he became a Christian and you know as he got into uh, problems with his family and started getting death threats and uh, started debating because Muslims were challenging him to debate because they wanted to show other Muslims that he was stupid or something like that. Um, watching the stand that he took, I kind of I kind of realized, wow. Cool Christians, and mm. uh, and there's a good there's a good reason for that. Um, you know, here here in the West, when we when, when someone like uh, me converts, it's, it's not a huge issue for most you know most people in my family. You know, I could have told my family I was you know I'd become a Buddhist or something like that. It wouldn't have mattered as long as I was staying out of trouble. But in Islam, um, it's a really big deal if you're if you're leaving the religion. family and my community, maybe get my head chopped off and get me sent straight to hell. Hmm. And so it doesn't sound like good news at all. It sounds like the worst no. news ever. But there's a there's a flip side to that. And the flip side is once a Muslim says, you know, I've been told all my life that this will get me sent to hell and I may have to give up my family and this may get my head chopped off. But I want to know Jesus anyway. That's someone who will lay down his life for hmm. the Lord. And so um just realize somewhere along the line, you know this is actually a, a cool, a cool ministry to, uh, to, to stick with. So, yeah, I've stuck with it ever since.
1: Now, when we think as Christians that we're going to uh, talk to our Muslim friends... Based upon your experience, and I think the experience of many others, David, and we're talking to David Wood, by the way. You need to go to his YouTube channel, X 17. Just look it up, David Wood, X 17. And by the way, while you're there, you need to watch his testimony. And when, when you go to that YouTube channel, it will automatically come up. It's David going on to the New York subway, and for about 34 minutes, telling you his life story and how he became a Christian. It is fascinating. You're not going to want to miss that. We don't have time to cover it here on the program. But David... Your experience and the experience of others when they're witnessing to Muslims, we ought to expect if we're going to witness to Muslims, this be a long haul. This is not, here's John three sixteen. you know, become a Christian. This is going to take a long time, correct?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Even for them to understand what you're saying on various issues is going to, you're going to have to unpack a lot. Because, you know, we're familiar with the terms we use and the, uh, uh, you know, the biblical, the biblical mm-hmm. phrases and so on that we use but they are um they've they've been given by islam um alternative understandings of those terms so um when we say jesus is the son of god there it's very common for muslims to think that we mean that god had an offspring with with mary right that mm. god and mary produced an offspring um when it's never been what christians mean but that's what uh, that's what they think we mean um when we talk about the doctrine of the trinity um the doctrine of the Trinity, according to the Quran, Surah 5, verse 116, is a trinity made up of Allah, Jesus, and Mary. And so mm. they hear us saying things, and you're explaining the gospel, and they're misunderstanding everything you're saying. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's going to take a lot of work even to get them to understand what you're saying, and then, of course, to show that what you're saying is, is correct. <laughs>
1: We're talking to David Wood, and when we come back from the break here in just a couple of minutes, so I'm going to ask him questions about the Quran. We need to know more about the Quran as Christians, and can the Quran be the Word of God? And I think David's going to show us that with just a couple of insights into the Quran, he's going to be able to show you there's no way it could be the Word of God, but we'll save that for after the break. By the way, I want to mention that uh, this coming week I'm going to be down in Dallas, Texas. I'm going to be at UT Dallas on Thursday night, and then UT Arlington. At noon, a special event at noon there on that campus. And uh, then uh, that weekend, I will be with my friends at Stand to Reason at Rethink at Cottonwood Creek Baptist Church. That's Friday night and all day Saturday. And that's not just apologetics, that's fun too. So, well, apologetics is fun, friends, but you get the idea. There's a lot of fun going on at this event, mostly for the youth. Check that out. Go to RethinkApologetics.com, be a part of that. Over a thousand people, young people, are already going. And uh, we're back in just a couple of minutes. I'm Frank Turk. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two.
2: Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button. Or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Can the Quran
1: be the word of God? Most Christians, most Americans probably have never even picked up a Quran. They don't really know what's in there. They don't know when it was written. They don't even know who it was written by. Uh, my friend, Dr. David Wood, will give you some good insights into it. And, of course, we can't cover the waterfront here. We're just doing a, an hour-long program, so you can investigate these things in more depth yourself. Uh, one way you can do that is go to David Wood's YouTube channel. Apolog- or it's Act Seventeen Apologetics. Just you could just Google David Wood YouTube. You'll find it. Hundreds of videos up there, mostly short videos. There's also some debate videos up there that will help you. Now, David, you've got a a uh, a video up there. The exact title I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like three verses in the Quran every Christian should know. And it it really in about six or seven minutes shows you how you can point out that the Quran can't be the word of God. Can you kind of go through that here with us right now?
0: Um, Yeah. As far as the Quran being the word of God, there are all sorts of, um, there are all sorts of directions you could go with this. Right. Um, Basically you've got, uh, what are the reasons to be suspicious of it? What are the reasons to Mm -hmm. think that it's not the word of God? And then what are the reasons that that are offered by Muslims for, for believing that it is the word of God Uh, as far as, if you read the Quran, one thing that keeps coming up that keeps raising suspicion. I wouldn't even say that this means that that this particular issue means it can't be the word can't be the word of God, but it it makes the whole thing look awfully suspicious. And that is um, these sort of morally convenient revelations. Muhammad gets all these convenient revelations that are that really have no purpose other than um, helping him out in some way. And a lot of them are kind of sexual in nature, and some of them are just um, you know other issues. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Surah 33, verse 53 of the Quran, the the historical background was that um, people wanted to keep meeting with Muhammad, and so he would say, okay, come over for dinner, and then they would want to talk because they had all of these questions for Muhammad. They wanted to ask him about all these issues, but Muhammad didn't really want to sit around hanging out answering people's questions um, after dinner, but he didn't want to say anything, so he gets a revelation. So this is a revelation that Muhammad then had to go out and deliver to his followers. He walked out and said, guys, I have a revelation in Surah 33, verse 53. Read it. Uh, It says, O you who believe, do not enter the dwellings of the prophet for a meal without waiting for the proper time, unless permission is granted you. But if you are invited, enter, and when your meal is ended, then disperse. Do not linger for conversation. That would cause annoyance to the prophet, and he would be shy of asking you to go. But Allah is not shy of the truth. So this situation here, Muhammad doesn't want to talk to people, but he won't (laughs) tell them. But he gets a revelation that he says, guys, I have a revelation from Allah. And the revelation from Allah is, if you come over, don't hang out for conversation afterwards, just leave. Muhammad, the guy who's receiving this revelation, says Muhammad is too shy, but Allah is not shy. So Mm -hmm. Allah gives the revelation telling people, don't hang out for conversation because that's annoying to Muhammad. So Muhammad wouldn't say, hey, uh, Your guys are annoying me, but it gets a revelation from Allah saying, "You guys are annoying me, so so stop thinking <laughs> out the conversation." So you've got you've got issues like that, which are mm-hmm. uh, very odd. That the you know, just odd, part of yes. Part of, part of Allah's eternal word is to say, "Hey, stop annoying Muhammad by hanging out for him." You know, hanging out after dinner and asking mm-hmm. him questions. But you have uh, um, others that are that are uh, that are very different. So, for instance, in Surah uh, 33, verse 37 of the Quran. We have um, – this is related to the issue of Muhammad and Zainab, which is uh, one of the biggest scandals um, that Muhammad was, was criticized for during his lifetime. And that's mainly that he uh, – Muhammad had an adopted son named Zayed, and Zayed married one of the most beautiful women in Arabia, um, uh, a woman named Zaynab, And one day, Muhammad went over to see his adopted son, Zayed, and saw Zaynab uh, almost naked, and he started walking out praising Allah. Well, his his adopted son figured out that Muhammad was attracted to her. So his adopted son divorced her so that Muhammad could have the woman, and Muhammad married her. Now, this was a big scandal because pretty much every culture ever has said you you don't do something like that. You don't Hmm. take the wife of your own uh, own adopted son. So um, Allah gave a revelation. It's chapter 33, verse 37 of the Quran. And basically what the revelation says is that Allah needed... Muhammad to marry the the wife of his own adopted son, so that other Muslims would understand that, that that's that's a good thing to do, it's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. And I mean, you know, how, you, you try and think, you try and figure this out. Wait, how many people have ever struggled with this issue? Right? I've never heard <laughs> right, of anyone. Okay. I've never uh, heard of anyone in my entire life trying to figure mm-hmm. out, hey, you know, should I or should I not marry the wife of my own adopted son? But it's Mm -hmm. so important to Allah that he has to not just reveal that it's okay, he has to have Muhammad go out and show that it's okay. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is uh, Muhammad was still criticized for it, and the result was that Allah revealed uh, chapter 33, verses 4 and 5 of the Quran, which abolished adoption. So um, in order to justify this uh, marriage to Zainab, Allah in the Quran abolishes adoption so that Muhammad's adopted son, and therefore, there's no relationship between them. And so, one of the most humane practices in all of human history gets abolished in Islam. So there's no adoption, so everyone knows there's no adoption in Islam. You can you can take care of an orphan if you want, but you can't adopt a child into your family. And the reason is because the Quran had to justify Muhammad's relationship with Zainab. And so you got you've got all kinds of uh, issues like this. There's there's Surah 33 verse. Quran, where um, in Surah 4, verse 3, Allah had revealed that that Muslims can have up to four wives, but no more than four wives. Well, Muhammad had far more, and the reason he was able to have far more was he got a revelation, Surah 33, verse 50, which says that he, and only he, could break the the four-wife limit, um, that he could have have any woman he wants. Um, You had a situation where one of Muhammad's Attractive to Muhammad, so he was going to uh, divorce her. And she went and pleaded with him, please don't divorce me. You don't have to spend any time with me or anything like that. Anytime you would spend with me, you can go You can go spend that time with, with Aisha, your favorite wife. Um, just please don't divorce me and, and kick me to the curb because I'm, I'm too old to go and fend for myself now. And the Quran, Surah 4, verse 128, um, praises her for coming to that agreement and advises women, hey, you know, uh, this, this is a good idea. If you're if your husband's about to kick you to the curb, then, you know, come to, come to re- go ahead and relinquish some of your marital rights and so on in order to, uh, to protect yourself from, from being you know, thrown out. And uh, one of, the, one of the, the most disturbing is uh, Surah 66 verses 1 to 2 of the Quran, and the historical background here is that Muhammad got caught having sex with one of his slave girls, a Coptic Christian girl who was given to him as a slave. Um, Muhammad got caught by his wife, Hafsa. Hafsa went out to the market, but she came home early, caught Muhammad in her bed with his slave girl, Mary the Copt. She freaked out, went and told Muhammad's other wives. Muhammad's wives were all upset that he's having sex with one of his slave girls in his wife, Hafsa's bed. So they all complained. And Muhammad makes an oath. He swears to his wives, I will stop having sex with my slave girls. And then Allah reveals in Surah sort of sixty-six, verses one to two. He, he actually tells Muhammad, "Hey, I did not order you to make that oath. Therefore, I'm canceling the oath you made to your wife. Go ahead and go back to having sex with your slave girl." And um, so it's just it's just amazing that Allah has so much so much uh, so much time to uh, spend his, mm. so many of his revelations, um, basically satisfying Muhammad's sexual appetites in, in weird ways. Like, I mean, you know, you, you would expect, hey, Muhammad, you made an oath to your wives. You better keep that oath, because that's what, a, that's what a, a man of integrity would do. Instead of, hey, Muhammad, you made an oath to your wives. Break it. I'm telling you to break it. Go back to having sex with your slave girls. And so you see things like this over and over and over again, and just looks awfully suspicious. So, again, now, I, wouldn't Dave, say this, I wouldn't say that this means it can't be the word of God, but right. Muslims are going to have to give some good evidence
1: for, for believing this. We're talking to David Wood. His uh, YouTube channel is Act 17 Apologetics. Now I know, David, I can hear people listening right now going, okay, these obviously are some moral problems in the Quran. However, how would this differ, David, from the supposed moral problems? And obviously we can't get into a lot of detail here, but mm-hmm. There's there's moral problems. There appear to be moral problems in the Bible, like uh, God, particularly the Old Testament. You know, God uh, say saying kill the Canaanites or something like that. I mean, it appears that both the Bible and the Quran have some moral questions about them. How would you differentiate the two?
0: Well, if you're talking about you know just just uh, moral issues in the Quran, there are, there are all sorts of issues we, we have there. Uh, right mm-hmm. now, I'm talking about. Um, Basically, the idea that the man who is receiving the revelations, Mm. getting special moral privileges that no one else gets, and
1: uh, the idea that in Islam, I mean, the the Quran, they have a different view of
0: inspiration, uh, namely that the Quran is Allah's eternal word. Uh, this This is the eternal speech of Allah that has been proceeding from Allah from all eternity. And the idea that uh, so much of it is directed towards satisfying the urges of mm. his profit. So if, if we look at the Bible and compare it, then um, you look at like the apostles, like the apostle Paul. The, according to the apostle Paul, the apostle, uh, the apostles had rougher, tougher, harder lives than other people. They put right. requirements on themselves, burdens on themselves that other people didn't have. So you look at that, and it's, it's like, hey, you know, we're the apostles here. We're held to a, a higher standard as far as far as our lives. So they would say, hey, you know, you guys go out, um, you you can go, you can go out and, and get wives and so on. Uh, us, you know, uh, me, I, I don't, I don't get that. I'm not going to. And so yeah, no
1: one, no one would, no one would invent the, uh, the Bible's commands, uh, nor impose them on themselves. But you could see how someone might impose the commands Muhammad imposed on himself, which basically liberated him to do what he wanted to do. Um, you could see how that could, could occur, but it's unlikely that people would invent the biblical prohibitions against uh, sexual promiscuity, uh, which which were beyond anything in, the, in that culture and certainly are beyond anything in our culture today. So it, 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 it does give one pause when you look at the Quran as to why the main um, prophet there gets all sorts of privileges that other people don't seem to have. So that's certainly a question there. I also want to talk a little bit about, and and, and maybe we can just set this up. We only got a minute before the break, but I failed to talk about where the Quran came from. Maybe you could just give us, you know, forty, thirty, forty seconds on that, uh, if you could, David, and we'll pick it up on the other side of the break.
0: Well, there's there's all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, as far as like source criticism and things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, according to Islam, according to Islam, uh, the Quran is Allah's eternal word, and it was revealed to Muhammad by the angel Gabriel. So Gabriel gives it to Muhammad in pieces over a period of about 23 years. Uh, Muhammad would recite them. He was he couldn't write, so he would recite them to his followers. His followers would memorize them, uh, write, write parts of it down so that they, so they could help themselves memorize it. Um, it wasn't compiled into a book until after Muhammad's death, and that was because some of it had been lost. So that's the that's the Islamic view. Now whether that is actually where the where the Quran came well, from, that's a different story from scholars. Yeah,
1: let's let's talk about it right after the break. We're talking to my friend Dr. David Wood of Acts 17 Apologetics. Go to the YouTube channel to see more of this. And when we get back, we'll talk about more of the origins of the Quran and how you can show easily that the Quran can't be the word of God. Back into college campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. 0% go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Right now, we are teaching a course on the resurrection with the great Gary Habermas. By the way, you can sign up for the basic course anytime you want. You won't get Gary live, but you can take that course anytime you want. If you go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you can. I'm about to teach, beginning in, in the very first week of May, a course on the essentials of Christianity. It's called Life's Compass. And uh, if you sign up for that course, uh, the premium version, we're going to be together seven times via Zoom video. We're going to cover a lot of ground, folks. We're going to talk about what's the Bible all about, what's the evidence that God created the universe, what are the essentials of Christianity, what are the essentials of salvation, uh, how do faith and works relate, how do faith and reason relate, what are six mistakes we make interpreting the Bible, what's the Trinity. We're going to get into... (laughs) basically the essentials, what you need to know to be a Christian, what every Christian should know, not only what the basic doctrines are, but how to defend them. Uh, And that starts in the beginning of May. So check that out. Go to ReasonU, or well, ReasonU is where the the website is, but it's easier to just go to crossexamine.org and click on online courses. It'll take you over there. Uh, So hopefully you guys can be a part of that. I'll be telling you more about that as uh, the next month unfolds. Uh, also, uh, what else is coming up I got to tell you about? Well, CIA. I got to tell you about CIA, cross Examine Instructor Academy. My friend, Dr. David Woods is going to be one of the instructors there, along with Greg Kokel and, and uh, Richard Howe and uh, so many others that you can see on our website. Uh, it's 8 to 10, August 8 to 10, in New York City, actually Brooklyn, the uh, Christian... Uh, the Cultural Christian Center. The, or, gee, Why am I forgetting the name of the church now? I don't have it in front of me. I shouldn't do this announcement without having it in front of me. But um, it's in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, if you go to crossexamine.org and click on events, you'll see CIA there. It's not cheap. It costs money to attend. It's three days with all these apologists. We not only present to you, you present to us. We make your uh, presentation skills and question answering skills. We try and refine them. We critique them and refine them. So this is a real class for apologists who want to move on to the next step. So hopefully you can be a part of that as well. Let me go back to my friend, Dr. David Wood. David, just before the break, we were talking about the Quran, the origins of the Quran. Just give our listeners a couple of minutes on, on the Quran and uh, what Muslims believe about it.
0: So yeah, so Muslims believe that it's that it's Allah's eternal word that was revealed uh, to Muhammad by the angel Gabriel. Um, <clears throat> one of the problems that comes up is start finding some very strange stories um, in the Quran, and when we ask ourselves where these stories came from, we find the same stories being taught in Arabia in the centuries leading up to the time of Muhammad, and uh, it's. It, it, very often things that, that we know aren't true and we know where the stories came from. So uh, a couple of examples here. Uh, in Surah 18, um, Allah tells us that Alexander the Great traveled so far west. Well, it says dual Karnain. That's n- normally understood to be Alexander the Great. Mm-hmm. Um, so it says that dual Karnain traveled so far west, he found the place where the sun sets. And he found that the sun sets in a, in a muddy pool. It's Surah 18, verse 86 of the Quran. Sun sets in a muddy pool um, way out west. Now, Obviously, Alexander the Great never found the place where the sun sets, and uh, so it seems to be a, just a, a blunder in the Quran. Uh, but what's interesting is we know where this story comes from. It was actually circulating in Arabia during Muhammad's lifetime in a in a work called The Glorious Deeds of Alexander. So here's a story. We know it's false, and we know it was circulating in Arabia during the time of Muhammad, and it ends up in the Quran. Um, earlier in Surah 18, we read about uh, a group who are called the Companions of the Cave. It's a group of people who supposedly went to a, went to sleep in a cave and woke up uh, three hundred years later. Um, th- this is a myth that goes back to Bishop Stephen of Ephesus uh, around the fifth century. Um, in Surah 19 uh, we read about the, you know that's the sort of the, the Islamic nativity, but Jesus uh, is born and Jesus begins preaching uh, Islam as soon as he uh, comes out of Mary's womb. And uh, when Jesus is talking, you can see where the story comes from. This is, it comes from a 6th century work called the Arabic Infancy Gospel. Um, we have story, uh, the story about um, a bird teaching Cain how to bury his brother Abel after killing him. In Surah 5, uh, we find the same story in, uh, in, in the Mission of Sanhedrin, so a uh, Jewish work. Uh, the legend of Mary giving birth under a palm tree in the Quran in Surah 19. That comes from. That's found in, a, in an apocryphal work called *The History of the Nativity of Mary and the Savior's Infancy*. It's written in the, the early 600s. Uh, we find a story about Jesus giving life to clay birds in Surah Five. That comes from a, a second-century work called *The The Infancy Gospel of Thomas*. So we have all of these stories that, um, <clears throat> again, many of which we know simply aren't true. And we can trace them back, and we trace them back, and we find that they're in stories that are circulating in Arabia during the time of Muhammad, but they be, they become parts of the Quran. And so it's very, very strange, given the Muslim view of the Quran as Allah's eternal word, that it seems to incorporate lots of stories from that were circulating during the time of, of Muhammad. And So what it seems like the real case is uh, Muhammad just couldn't tell the difference between uh, a revelation from God, or and you know, just a a story that Christians or Jews or others were telling.
1: Now, David, when you bring this up, because you've had several debates, when we're talking to David Wood again, his uh, his YouTube channel Acts Seventeen Apologetics. Just Google David Wood, you'll find it. When you when you have debates with Muslims, you've debated Shabir Ali, I believe. You've debated several others. When you bring these kinds of issues up, what do they say?
0: Well, it's, uh, Shabir probably gives. The best answer that a Muslim could give, because normally, I mean, as a most Muslims are just going to have to say, "Well, well, they're true," even though you know we, we can't figure out how these stories could could possibly be true, and even though we can trace them back to uh, you know something from a century earlier or a couple centuries earlier than Muhammad, that those stories were somehow true as well, even though these stories just kind of pop up out of out of out of nowhere, and even though you know for the people of the time. A lot of these stories were basically on the level of like bedtime stories. Uh, in mm-hmm. other words, they weren't even taken very seriously by by people during the time. Um, right. But Shabir Shabir is a is a bit more uh, is a bit more um, open minded here. And in the last debate we have, when I was bringing up some of the issues, some of the problems with uh, uh, with with these kinds of stories, um, Shabir's position is that uh, the Quran. That the Quran is actually taking these stories seriously, either. And the example he gave was, it's like, you know, the latest Marvel movie. If you know, there's a Marvel movie, uh, a, a preacher or something like that could use the Marvel story as an example and say, mm. you know, it's just like when the Hulk went here, and the and the people would understand. Hey, mm. okay. um, he's not he's not being serious mm. here. He's just using it to make a moral point. So mm-hmm. Shabir's Shabir's idea is, yes, many of these stories may uh, not be true, but the Quran isn't saying that they're true. It's just using them to make moral points.
1: Is he That's trying to say there, they're course, like parables? Is that, is that what yeah, he's yeah, trying yeah. to say? Now,
0: the okay. problem is the Quran is clearly uh, putting these forward as as things that happened. But uh, uh, that just that just goes to show that even Muslim apologists are recognizing the problem, namely that uh-huh. these things just didn't happen.
1: Now, I remember Nabil saying that uh, the Quran was not really standardized until about 1924, and I just couldn't believe it when he said that, but he reiterated it. Is that, did, did, do you find the same fact? Is that is that true that the Quran had, hadn't really been? I know Ultman, the, the third caliph, standardized it in about, what, 650 AD or something after it was compiled, 18 years after Muhammad's death. But where, was the, the text of the Quran still in question as late as ni- the 1920s?
0: Well, what you ended up with was different parts of the world ended up uh, with. Uh, variations in their Qur'an. so you have okay. the, the warsh and the hafs and so on but you have a bunch of a bunch of other versions that were sort of local versions of the quran and just to be clear i mean you still have you still have the the chapters of the quran they're mainly they mainly have like textual differences where uh, uh, a word it, you've got one word in one version of the quran a different word in a different verse and it it, it changes the it changes the meaning of of the verses um so you had different versions of the quran in different places of of the world and it basically 1924 they said okay this is this is the, uh, the official version now hmm. okay
1: 1924 they finally did okay well we're we're going to get to how you can show the quran can't be the word of god from the quran itself but we'll save that for the final segment i got to ask you this though david i i go to college campuses you know a lot and i sometimes get questions and on well how do you know christianity's true and i talk about the resurrection well what about miracles from other religions and of course islam would be the biggest monotheistic competitor to Christianity. Because if God exists, if monotheism is true, if there really is a God out there, the three major religious worldviews you have are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And of course, we believe Judaism is true. It's just incomplete. Uh, We think the Messiah has come. So Islam is really our main competitor there. And I'm confused because I hear on one hand, Muslims saying Muhammad did do miracles, and they're recorded in the Hadith, the written traditions of what Muhammad said and did, written about 150 years after Muhammad died. But in the Quran, doesn't it say Muhammad didn't do miracles? So wouldn't the Hadith then be contradicting the Quran?
0: Oh yeah, there's, there's no question. Over and over again in the Quran, um, Muhammad is asked why he's not performing miracles like uh, the earlier prophets did. And over and over again, uh, the Quran offers excuses for why he doesn't do it. Like, uh, you know, well, the, the people, there were always people who didn't believe in the miracles, So Allah just doesn't want to give any more now, but, uh, for people who want to read them, you got like uh surah six, verse 37, surah 10, verse 20, uh, surah 11, 12, um, 13, 7, 13, 27, 17, 59. Um, basically the, the picture you get from the Quran is that, um, yeah, previous people like Jesus, Jesus miracles are all over the Quran, but Muhammad, doesn't get any except the Qur'an. So the Qur'an is Muhammad's only miracle, according to Mm. the Qur'an. Now what happened is, just as as you get that challenge, um, Christians and Jews, when Muslims went out preaching after the time of Muhammad, um, Muslims go out preaching, and Christians and Jews are constantly saying, hey, what about your prophet's miracles? What miracles? We want to know about his miracles. And so basically Muslims invented some miracle stories, um, even though these miracle stories contradict the Quran. So the, the miracle stories you get in Islam start at about a century after the time of Muhammad and Ibn Isak, and then uh, two centuries after the time of Muhammad, you get way more um, but again, these contradict the Quran. There are Muslims who will try to work a miracle somewhere into the to the Quran. Like there's a there's a passage that says the the moon is cleft asunder, and they'll say you see there, Muhammad split the moon. Well, mm-hmm. that's the case in the Hadith, but uh, there it seems to be a, a like a sign of of judgment here, not something that Muhammad is is actually going out doing performing a miracle. It doesn't say anything in the Quran about Muhammad doing this or having anything to do with it. Um, so yeah, the the consistent message of the Quran is. Muhammad is only a warner. He doesn't have miracles, unlike many earlier prophets, except the Quran, which, which is his miracle. And so you, we can see that uh, uh, stories were being invented uh, about, about Muhammad in order to uh, provide additional evidence to, to Jews and Christians later.
1: Well, when we come back with Dr. David Wood, he's my guest today. I'm going to ask him uh, what the Muslim scholars say when he brings that problem up. Don't miracles attributed to Muhammad seem to contradict the Quran? And then we're going to show, David's going to show, how you can, from the Quran, show people that the Quran can't be the word of God. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. And my guest is Dr. David Wood. We're back in just two minutes.
2: If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily.
1: Welcome back to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network. Website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. And also, our TV show is on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Uh, if you're an insomniac, that's really Thursday morning. On DirecTV Channel 378. If you don't have DirecTV, it's on Roku, R-O-K-U, the NRB TV network. That stands for National Religious Broadcasters. If you don't have that, you can see it on our app. Two words in the App Store, cross-examined. Or you can watch the program live on our website, cross So we give you several avenues to see the TV program. So check all that out. If you don't do anything else, just download the app. The app, you can get access to all this stuff, okay? It's two words in the App Store, cross-examine. And there you'll see I'm going to be at UT Dallas on Thursday night, UT Arlington on Friday, then with Rethink at Cottonwood Creek Baptist Church, and then I'm preaching the morning services at Cottonwood Creek Baptist Church. That's up in Allen, Texas, just north of Dallas, this coming week. So check all that out. Back to my friend David Wood. David, when you are... um, debating someone like Shabir Ali. And you point out that the Quran says Muhammad doesn't do miracles. In fact, Muhammad denied doing miracles. He's just claimed to warn people there was one God. Yet Muslims come along 150 years later and try and attribute miracles to Muhammad so he can be confirmed as a prophet. Um, What does somebody like Shabir Ali say? Isn't that a contradiction? How does he handle that?
0: I don't recall actually bringing this up with Shabir. I think Shabir, I'm I don't know his official position, but but given his, his methodology, I think he would I think he would grant that uh, that stories in the hadith later on um, were were fabricated just because he he says that so much. Anytime you uh, quote the uh, quote a hadith to criticize Islam, Shabir is, Shabir uh, has a habit of rejecting the uh, the hadith. So hmm. uh, generally, Muslims don't bring up uh, miracles um, with someone who knows what the Quran says because they know that they'll just get uh they know uh, any one of us would, would just bring up the Quran and show that uh that the Quran repeatedly denies that Muhammad could perform miracles, then they would have to try and say, Oh well, you know, you've got the you've got the moon splitting in there and so the response would be, well it doesn't say anything about Muhammad having anything to do with it, doesn't even say what it does. Even Muslim commentator commentary say it may refer to like a sign of the end times or something, not Muhammad performing a miracle. Um and they're just going to have to stomp their foot and go with what the hadith says. But again, they're they're contradicting the the clear testimony of the Quran. So so the final the final result would be someone like me saying, well, if Allah in all of these passages where he says that Muhammad couldn't perform miracles, if he really means that Muhammad was going around shooting water out of his fingers and things like that that we find in the hadith, then Allah is just a really really bad communicator.
1: All right. Let's deal with this uh, issue of the Quran being the word of God, because you've come up with a very easy way to show people that the Quran can't be the word of God, and you can show this from the Quran itself. Can you just spend a couple of minutes talking about that?
0: Oh yeah. And this is this is pro- this is probably my favorite argument when dealing with Islam. And I mean, if I could do anything in the world of apologetics before I die, it would be getting Christians to understand. What the Quran says about the Torah and the Gospel, because if Christians would get that down, then it would uh, it would change all of all future interactions between Christians and Muslims. Because what you have now is um, Christians, you know, preach the Gospel, and Muslims say your Bible's been corrupted, and you say, mm-hmm. oh, Jesus died for sins, and they say, oh, the Bible's been corrupted. You say, look at these passages, Jesus, the Son of God. And they say, oh, your Bible's been corrupted. Um, the reason they say corrupted is most Muslims understand that the Quran. Uh, affirms the inspiration of the Torah and the gospel um but they think that the Quran goes on to say that the, the Torah and the gospel have have been changed or were changed by later Christians and Jews when that's com- that's completely false uh, according to the Quran so, just to give people the uh, references, and we'll 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 look at uh, we'll look at a couple of them, but I'll give them the references if they want to really look at this issue. But Surah three, verses three and four of the Quran. So Surah just means chapter. But so uh, chapter three, verses three to four of the Quran refer to the inspiration of the Torah and the Gospel, and that's all your average Muslim will be aware of um, if he if, if they were to read the entire Quran and look at what it says about the Torah and the Gospel, they'd find uh, more than that. So. Uh, chapter 7, verse 157 of the Quran, talking about Jews and Christians during the time of Muhammad who were reading prophecies about him. But uh, one fifty-seven says, uh, talks about those who follow the messenger, the unlettered prophet, whom they find mentioned in their own scriptures in the Torah and the gospel. It is they who will prosper. So Christians and Jews supposedly had the Torah and the gospel during the time of Muhammad. So now you're talking 7th century. So the mm. Torah and the gospel, you know, couldn't have been corrupted at the Council of Nicaea or something like that. They, were still, uh, they still had it during the time of Muhammad. Uh, you have other Quran passages, um, chapter 6, verse 115, and chapter 18, verse 27, which say that no one can change Allah's words, and it's, it's, in, the, it's in the context of uh, Allah's books. So chapter 18, verse 27, for instance, says, uh, And recite what has been revealed to you of the book of your Lord. There is no one who can alter his words and you shall not find any refuge besides him. And here here the Muslim response, obviously, is uh, but that only refers to the Quran. Um, however, that, that's not what the text says. It doesn't say no one can change his words in the Quran. It says no one can change his words. And so if they claim that his words in the Torah and his words in the Gospel have been changed, then that argument, uh, then the Quran is wrong when it says no one can change his words. So the, Quran, the Quran's position is no one can change Allah's revelations. People misinterpret them and misrepresent them but can't actually... Uh, change them. Um, we get to an interesting passage in chapter 5, verse 43 of the Quran, where Jews came to Muhammad for judgment to settle dispute. And uh, Allah's response in Surah 5, verse 43 was, Why do the Jews come to you when they have the Torah? Mm. And so the Quran's response was, "They They don't need you, Muhammad. They've got the Torah. And that only makes sense if the Jews had an uncorrupted. Torah, right? If, if they had a corrupted version, then they would need Muhammad to clarify what mm. the truth is. So that's chapter 5, verse 43. A um, couple verses later, chapter 5, verse 47, says, let the people of the gospel, so that's Christians, let the people of the gospel judge by what Allah has revealed therein. If any fail to judge by the light of what Allah has revealed, they are no better than those who rebel. So the, what the Quran does, is it tells Jews, Jews, you judge by the Torah. And then it tells Christians, Christians, you judge by the gospel. And then the next verse, 548, says that Muslims judge by the Quran. So the actual position of the Quran is that Allah has sent prophets into the world, and those prophets have revealed books to different people in different languages, and you're supposed to judge by the book that came to you, not judge by the book that came to came to someone else. Um, eventually, Muslims went out and looked and read what was in the Torah and the gospel revealed uh, and figured out that it contradicts the Quran. And so that's where they came up with the story of corruption. But that's not, uh, that's not what the Quran says. So uh, two more verses really quick. Uh, chapter 5, verse 68. Mm. Uh, Muhammad is commanded, Say, O people of the book, you have no ground to stand upon unless you stand fast by the Torah, the Gospel, and all the revelation that has come to you from your Lord. So Jews and Christians are told to stand upon the Torah and the Gospel, which again makes no sense if the Torah and the Gospel had been corrupted. So the, the Torah and the Gospel are authoritative for Jews and Christians Interestingly, in Surah 10, verse 94, uh, we find out that the Torah and the Gospel are authoritative over Muhammad himself. Muhammad was having doubts about his revelations, and Allah's answer was for Muhammad to go to the people of the book, Jews and Christians, to make sure that his revelations line up with ours, and that was the test of his revelations. So contrary to what Muslims believe, it's the Torah and the Gospel that stand in judgment over the Quran, not the other way around. And the reason this is a problem for Islam and and how it poses a problem for Islam, or belief in the Quran, there are basically two possibilities. Either Christians have the inspired, preserved, authoritative word of God, or we don't. It's one or the other. If we have the inspired, preserved, authoritative word of God, then Islam is false because mm. Islam contradicts uh, our scriptures on basic doctrines like the death of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and his divine nature. So if we have the word of God, Islam is false. But if we don't have the inspired, preserved, authoritative word of God, Islam is still false. The Quran is still wrong because the Quran affirms the inspiration and preservation and authority of our scriptures. So if Christians have the word of God, Islam is false. If we don't have the word of God, Islam is false. Either way, the Quran has to be wrong here. And <laughs> that I regard as an inescapable dilemma.
1: All right. Shab- you, you pose that to Shabir Ali. Shabir Ali, the Muslim apologist. What does he say?
0: Uh, we actually did it. Well, he, he had to ar- he had to argue that the Quran is actually very subtly hinting at, um, at the corruption of our scriptures in other passages, and he could never come up with anything that, uh, that suggested that the gospel um, has been corrupted. Um, so, so it's basically, yes, Allah has subtly hinted at the corruption of us. Well, you've got all of these clear texts affirming that our, our scriptures were revealed by God and that no one can change Allah's words, and that these texts are still authoritative for Jews and Christians, and that the texts are even authoritative over Muhammad and stand in judgment over Muhammad's revelations, if Allah if Allah is just subtly hinting at something else in these, in these verses that can't possibly have anything to do with the corruption of the gospel, because they're not even talking about the gospel, um, then again, Allah is a really, really bad communicator.
1: Friends, this is David Wood. You can see why he's so good at dealing with this greatest challenge to Christianity, and that is Islam. His website, uh, well, actually, the best place to go is his, is his YouTube channel. Over 300,000 subscribers. You can see why. Go to Acts 17 Apologetics. You also have a website, too, don't you, David? Can't, can't people con- contribute
2: to you?
0: Um, yeah, they, they can find out. They can find all my info in, in, in my my videos. I link to my uh, I link to any you know channels and Facebook and, and Twitter there in the, the description box of my videos.
1: Okay, but yeah, you're a you're a nonprofit organization, correct? Yes, yeah. Okay, so yeah, you can you can donate to to David's ministry. You can you can see he's one of the few people out there that is really giving an intellectual defense not only of Christianity, but he's also showing why the greatest competitor Christianity by its own writings can't be true. Because as he just pointed out, if the Quran is right about the Bible being the word of God, then the Quran can't be the word of God. Then Islam can't be true. And if the Quran is false about uh, is, is, is saying something incorrect about the Bible, then it's false as well. So there's no way the, the, the Quran can be the word of God. And, and that's what David is showing you there. David, thanks so much for being on the program.
0: All right. Happy to join you.
1: That's David Wood, ladies and gentlemen. And you'll probably want to listen to that last segment again. I know I will. (laughs) You can also go to his website or his YouTube channel again, Act 17 Apologetics, to see so many more videos on this. All right, friends, great being with you. I'll be in Dallas this weekend. Hope to see you there. God bless. See you here next week at this time.
2: We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless.